God, thank you for the privilege and honor, God, we have to come to you. Thank you for this opportunity and, and being able to just hold our Bibles, Lord. I, I just love it, God, that you've given us this book, this word, Lord, your, your truths, that we can dive into it, that we can read it, study and understand it, understand your truth and understand you. And so, Lord, as we open up our Bibles today, I pray for your spirit to give us that understanding, to appreciate it, and that it would transform us, God. So we ask for your anointing, your touch right now. Lord, may the spirit of God bless the people of God through the word of God right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years back, I was reading this article. uh, This visitor to a British museum stumbled and destroyed a set of three 300-year-old Qing Dynasty vases. They were dated from the late 1600s to the early 1700s, and they were displayed in a prominent place, being one of their best artifacts that they held there, had in the museum. It was reported in this article that this unnamed 40-year-old man, he basically slipped or tripped, then he fell down some stairs, and in an attempt to like steady himself, he grabbed onto the shelf, and it was then that he knocked over these vases, which then fell and shattered into this huge mess, this big mess. One eyewitness there who saw everything described how this progression of this accident happened. And he said, we watched the man fall as if in slow motion. He landed in the middle of the vases and they splintered into a million pieces. Uh, He was still sitting there stunned when the staff appeared. Everyone stood around in silence as if in shock. Then the man started talking. He kept pointing to his shoelace and saying, Ah, there it is. That's the culprit. (laughs) I guess that's the only thing you could do. All eyes on you, right? But it must have been such a mess. There he is sitting in the middle of that. Well, I was thinking about that. I look around this world, and you know what? This world is in such a big mess. How is that? What's the culprit there? Well, we know from Genesis 3 that that's, that sin entered the world. But from then on, it has progressed and permeated our whole world here. It, it's, it, it's in us even, right? Before Christ, we're in bondage to our sinful nature. It's spread out into the world. And it, this is where we're at today as it progressed because of sin. Well, today in our passage in Romans chapter 1, Paul explains How the world got so far from God and his truth. How it progressed. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in our next section in Romans chapter 1. I titled our message, How the World Got So Messed Up. (laughs) How the World Got So Messed Up. We're going to be studying Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 through 23 this morning. 18 through 23. And here we're going to find this progression. Number one, they first of all refused the truth. Number two, they rejected the evidence. Number three, they redefined right thinking. And number four, they replaced God with 
religion. So that's the progression. That's what we're going to be seeing here in our passage today. How the world got so messed up. Romans 1, 18 through 23. First of all, number one, they refuse the truth. They refuse the truth. And here we're going to be looking at verse 18. Verse 18. Take a look with me here. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We'll stop right there. We begin here in this first verse here. We're looking at verse 18 with this first word, the word for. Now that connects us to the verses above. Paul is going on to explain in this letter that for the righteousness that we can receive by God, we need it. For, you know what, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So that's kind of the flow. If you remember last week, uh, in verse 16 and 17, uh, we saw what the driving force for Paul to share Jesus. And he explained it here in verse 16 and 17. He explained that the gospel is the power of God to save. And we saw in verse 17 that it's this righteousness that we receive by faith. So if you missed that, you can go back to uh, our podcast or go back on the YouTube channel. So, so we, we have no righteousness within us, so we need God to save us. We need God to give us his righteousness. So Paul goes on here to tell us why we need Jesus so much. Now understand that verses 1 through 17 that we've been studying the past few weeks is actually just the introduction Now we're stepping into the main body of the letter. You could say that the first part of Romans chapter 1 from verse 1 through 17 is the appetizer. Well, you know what? Starting here in verse 18, we're getting into the meat and rice of everything. Yeah, not potatoes, rice. Got to have my rice. So you understand, right? So we're getting into really everything here. Paul's going to take time to lay out really our need for Jesus and the gospel and what Jesus has done and who we are in Christ. Now, we're going to get through all that in this book. But now in verse 18, we're stepping into this main body of what Paul wanted to write to the Romans to and for us here today. So because we're, we're sinners, because we need Jesus, we face the wrath of God. And that's what we come into in verse 18. For the wrath of God is received from heaven. Now, the wrath of God, it speaks about the judgment of God. It speaks about the righteous anger of a righteous God. He has to judge sin. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Now, whenever we see this word wrath, right, we think of the movies and how they portray these pastors and how they portray God, right? The wrath of God is upon you, right? And it's kind of like, is that really real? Maybe some people like that, but that's not me. That's not here in our church. When I talk about the wrath, I'm not saying, the wrath is on you. You better watch out, right? Well, when we see that word wrath, right, we automatically we think of ourselves, our wrath, right? Our tendency to, 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 you know, fly off the handle, our emotions that overcome us, and we get so angry. We're seething with anger, but it's not the human kind of anger that we're talking about. It's not uncontrolled. 
God's wrath is his judgment. His anger is determined because of sin. Because he's righteous, we saw last week, he has to judge sin or he's not a holy God. So we understand that. So as we come into verse 18, don't go off on, oh, here it is, the wrath of God. Here it is, you know, ah, here, here it goes. Here goes the preacher man, you know, hell and brimstone kind of message. No, Paul is bringing us this truth about the judgment of God, and God has to judge sin. Now, he puts it this way, for the wrath of God is revealed from Heaven, and I think that's interesting. Revealed meaning it's seen from heaven. It's seen from coming from heaven. So this judgment, this righteous anger of God, it comes from heaven, from his holy throne. In other words, this is official. This is an official act of God because God has to judge the sin of the world. He has to do that. So it's, it's, it's from Heaven, it's something that's holy, it's something that's righteous and just. And we understand that, right? I mean, in the Old Testament, we, we read about Noah and the flood. Do you know why the flood came? Because God had to bring judgment upon the world because in man's heart was a continual sin and wickedness and evil. He had to bring that there. Or we understand Sodom and Gomorrah, right? In Genesis, where God had to judge those two cities and the fire and brimstone, yeah, came there. We understand that in the end times, in the last seven years of this uh, world as we know it, in the tribulation, right, that's God's wrath. That's God's judgment being poured out upon the earth because of sin. I mean, right now, we're in this age of grace. I mean, God could justly and righteously judge us right now. But because of grace, because of his mercy, he's still allowing things, hoping people would not perish, as the scriptures tell us, but come to him. So this wrath, this judgment of God, comes officially from the holy throne, from heaven. And it comes down against what? It says, for the wrath of God is revealed in heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And we're going to get to the next unrighteous thing that they do in a a few minutes but so the wrath the judgment has to come to judge and bring justice to ungodliness to unrighteousness to sin basically basically judgment falls upon sinners for sinning and the interesting thing here is commentators separate ungodliness and unrighteousness in this way they say ungodliness is the sins against god himself And it's doing ungodly things against the Lord, doing things that aren't holy, that that really go against him, what the word says, what what he really desires, what his will is. That's ungodliness. And then unrighteousness, they differentiate that to uh, the sins against one another, to how we sin and hurt one another, how we cheat or lie or take advantage or do wrong against one another. And so you can say maybe ungodliness is our irreverence to God, whereas unrighteousness is our inhumane action toward one another. So you understand in this picture, the idea is is Paul saying, see, look, you know, we need Jesus because the righteous response of God is to judge sin. The judgment is all upon the whole world. 
you know, I, I thought this was interesting, the ungodliness, unrighteousness thing, because, I mean, I, I, <clears throat> when I was saved when I was a teenager, and I grew up under Pastor Chuck, and I remember him saying and teaching that, teaching that when we get the vertical right, you know, our relationship with God, then we get the horizontal right, our relationship with one another. And I thought, wow, what they're saying here and bringing out here uh, in their interpretation that ungodliness, oh, our vertical, yeah, we messed that up and we also messed up our horizontal. And so it goes along with that, right? If we mess up our horizontal, our vertical, our relationship with God, it's going to mess up our relationship with each other. So here's we see God's response, his righteous response to judge sin. And then Paul writes this, who by, at the end of verse 18, who by their unrighteousness suppresses the truth. So in this unrighteous acts, and, and let's sum it all up, the ungodliness and unrighteousness, the sin, the wickedness, the evil that we sinners do, that this world is in, well, what? In this act that they do, it is unrighteousness. What do they do? They suppress the truth. The word suppress there means to hold down. It means to squash. It's like the world intentionally pushes aside the truth. And we're talking about the truth of God, the truth about God, the truth about Jesus, the, the word of God. They push that aside. And so Paul is saying, so that unrighteous act, God has to judge. He has to bring judgment there. So overall, the, the, the world stubbornly buries this truth about God. Uh, I was thinking about like um, sometimes um, one of our grand toddlers, yeah, who's all boy, yeah, he's doing something. And you say, hey, hey, no, no, don't, don't do that. And they, he looks at you first. And he goes, uh, keeps doing it, right? It's like, wait, what? He goes ahead and, and he squashes your command and just does whatever you, he likes, right? Well, that's like what Paul is describing here. They suppress the truth. It's there, they know, but they suppress it, they squash it. So how did this world that we live in get so messed up? What starts here? They refuse the truth of God. They refuse the truth of God. So that's why the judgment is there. That's why we need Christ, because we're unrighteous, and we need His righteousness. So the world's messed up and starts right here. The first step I, I see is they refuse the truth of God. You know, they say that there's another epidemic in this world. It causes 125,000 deaths. It costs $100 billion in preventable health care costs. And you know what that is? This is what they say, non-adherence. You know what that means? That means not listening to your doctor, not doing what he asked you to do. Non-adherence also means not taking the prescription medication that the doctors prescribe to you. Non-adherence. Well, I, I think that's us too sometimes. I think that's the world. We suppress the truth. We don't listen to God. We don't want it. We know it's there. We know we should. We heard what it said, but we suppress it. We refuse to take it. We refuse the truth of God. 
Sometimes I think we do that even as believers. We're, we're reading our Bibles and our devotion, or we hear a message and we go, hmm, I don't like that part. And you conveniently walk out of the, the doors and you forget, oops, you forget that part. Yeah? And, and it's like, oh, there's these, um, I was thinking, there's these big erasers there, you know, by the door when, when you leave. But sometimes we do the same thing there. That we pick and choose and we suppress some truths and maybe take and pick what we like. But, you know, we need to take the whole counsel of the word of God. The world, they refuse everything. They refuse this whole world. They refuse the truth of God. So, how the world got so messed up? Well, number one, they refuse the truth. Number two, we go on, is this. They rejected the evidence. They rejected the evidence. And here we're going to look at verse 19 and 20. And it reads here, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine name, have been clearly perceived uh, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, They are without excuse. Sorry, it's nature, divine nature. So they are without excuse. Well, in verse 19, Paul goes on to say, For, these guys suppressing the truth, and here's how bad it is. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God's shown it to them. So God has shown himself in the world. The word known here in original language is nostos. And it means what is knowable. What is knowable. In other words, what is knowable about God can be known. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, you know, what can be known about God, it can be knowable. It's not like God's like um, uh, holding back on us, right? Like he's hiding his word and saying, nope, nope, can't look, can't look, yeah, kind of thing. No, he makes it plain. He makes it clear for us. He makes His truth, the truth about himself, himself, he makes it knowable for everybody. The New Living Translation actually renders this, that uh, God made it obvious. I like that, obvious. And that's what I love about even the Bible. You know what? We can dive deep into it. We can go into the depths and theologians go really deep, yeah, where, where, it's, where you can't see. No, where, you know, really deep. But also, the Bible is simple enough for a child to play in the shallows. So God makes it accessible, his truth. God has made it obvious. And God clearly has made truth knowable. That's the way God has made things. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple things I was thinking about here. And, and that is, there's a sense, I think, in, in all of us that there is a God. I think that is in all of us. I think God, like Greg Glory says, uh, made a God-shaped uh, hole in your heart. And, and the only thing that can fill that is God. And so there's a sense in everybody, this sense of God. But they suppress that. The world suppresses that. And, and God, for God to give us that, it's his grace. It's his love. It's him saying, you know what, you can know me. I'm, I, I made it so I can be knowable. So it goes on in verse 20. Paul goes, 
And here's how knowable he is. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So Paul says, you know what? If you just plainly, simply look out into creation, you know that there is a God. You can see his invisible attributes, meaning his character. You can know who he is, his, his, his divine power, his eternal omnipotent power. Omnipotent means he's all-powerful there, right there in creation. He says that you can understand his divine nature. You, you can understand that he's holy, that he's awesome, that he's righteous and just, that he's, he's this huge, powerful, sovereign God here that exists. If you just look out in creation, in what we see, in what he has made. And I like when he sees that it is, um, uh, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. You know what he's saying? Paul is saying, there's this unmistakable message in this universe we live in, in this world that we live in, that there is a God. Creation testifies of a creator. So the existence of the Almighty God is clearly evident. That's what Paul's writing here. When you look at all creation, creation says there's a creator. That's the idea he's putting forth here. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We understand that, right? Uh, uh, you look in the universe, you look in the sky, you look in our world, you look all over. We can see the beauty of this place, the beauty of this universe we live in, and you know what? We see God. It speaks of the Lord there. I was thinking about, look at the night sky, right? And, and, and up here in our dark areas, we can look at me. You see those millions of stars dotting the night sky. But did you know that when you look up and see the sky, it's only a little part of the whole universe there? The scientists, they guess. They don't know for sure. Nobody knows. But their best guess is that the universe is five. 146 trillion miles. That's 54 with 22 zeros after that. That's crazy. That's huge. That's, of course, right? We never could get to the end of that. That's why, like, I don't know, my mind is these movies flying to Mars. They got to go into hibernation sleep to make it there, right? Takes so long and years to get there. How about the planet we live on, the Earth? The Earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs 1,317 and 22 zeros after that. And it's hanging in space, just hanging there. It spins 1,000 miles per hour. It, it travels 580 million miles around the sun at 1,000 miles per hour. How does that work? Who got it spinning, yeah? You know, I was playing with the kids' little top and spinning it, but eventually it just and crashes. How long has the earth been spinning? It's God, you guys. How, how is this going on? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. I was thinking about we've been having rain and all that. The hydrological cycle, I think that's, I said that right, right? Water lifts up 
yeah, from the sea, thousands of feet in the air. Then it's carried, right, uh, over land, suspended in the air, and then it's dropped, right? I mean, the water def- goes up in the air. It, it, it defies gravity and comes over and waters our Aina here. I was reading how a farmer in Minnesota gets 407,510 gallons of water per acre per year. The Lord gives them all that through rain. And you know what? It's for free. For free. We stand on this, our, our island, yeah, our home, this beautiful island. You look out. And you ever look out and go, wow, Lord, thank you for allowing me to be here. Thank you so much. There's other parts in the world that aren't like here. And I give glory to God because I know God made that. God made our beautiful island. And, and, uh, and then the other day I was thinking how I saw a whale um, while I was surfing. And, and we saw the spout and come out and everything. And, of course, everyone's go, hey, whale, whale, you know, kind of thing. But it made me think about how, isn't it amazing how whales can travel, yeah, from Alaska over here. It's amazing how birds navigate. I was listening and hearing how some scientists, just to test it out, they, they kept these birds in a closed area, and when they let them go, they still knew how to migrate. It was still in them, innate to them. God was there. God did all of that. If you look around in nature and our creation, there's so much living beings there. Right? I mean, the animals and everything. Did you know there's 33.6 thousand species of fish? Crazy. There's 11,000 species of birds or, 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 and 11,000 reptiles. There's 6,000 species of animals. And here's a weird one. There's 12,000 different species of ants. And in one colony, it could hold 100 million ants. And you know what? They're all in our kitchen right now. (laughs) But isn't this amazing? This is God. This is creation. I mean, how does it just happen? It doesn't. It doesn't. You and I, we know we've been fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalm says, right? I mean, if, if you think about how our circular system works, our brain, our nervous system, it's amazing to me how our eye works, how we can see and, and perceive colors and light and dark, and, and we recognize one another and connects to the brain. I, I'm amazed of all of that. How about the human heart? It's the size of a fist. It weighs less than half a pound, and it pumps 1,800 gallons of blood a day. Its work is equal to uh, 12 hours of lifting 65 tons one inch off the ground. That's the heart God gave, gave us. It doesn't run out of batteries. And eventually, yeah, we, we, our life ends, but we don't have to keep charging it, plugging it in, right? No, not at all. See, understand it this way. If God says he is visible in creation, then God made it so he could be seen in creation. He's visible, you guys. I mean, you look at it all, you can see there's design, right? A plan in creation. And if there's design, then there's a designer behind it. 
And that's why I say, there's no way this is evolution, you guys. There's no way. There's no way that, that some, some sort of uh, pre-evolution gooey, you know, uh, a gob of stuff that, that everything came out of that. There's no way. I mean, I was thinking about it this way. If I took all the, the, the parts and all the circuits and stuff of my iPad here, and I took it all and put it in my pocket, and I jumped around really, really good, and then would, would my iPad come out? No, of course not. Not at all. So God created everything. God created you and me. There's no evolution here. There's not some, some goo out there. We're not from goo to zoo to you kind of progression, right? No. Not at all. No way. So we see there is a creator. Then we see, we look at creation, has to be a creator. But then Paul says this now. He says, in the things that have been made, creation everything, God is there, so they are without excuse. No one can say, I didn't know. No one can really say that. No one can say, what, God? No, creation is evidencing God. It, when you look out, it should cause a person to acknowledge there must be a God. And then it would draw us, it would, it would motivate us to respond and seek God. Now, I want you to see that when we talk about God witnessing himself, making himself evident in creation, that's something what they call, theologians call, natural revelation or general revelation. Where, where God has made himself knowable through creation, everything that we see. Well, that natural revelation or general revelation, it should cause us to seek out the special revelation. That's another term for the specific truths that we find here in our Bibles. So that's what God has done, is giving us his witness, a sense that, wow, there is God, that would cause us to seek him out in his word, and then you know what? We find Jesus. That's what God has planned. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your God's waiting. He's made himself knowable. Come on. Come. If you really want to know me, come. Come. I'll help you. I'll, I'll, I'll reveal myself to you even more. So how did the world get so messed up? Well, next in progression is they rejected the evidence of the creator God. They're without excuse. This was plain rejection. It's there. They turned a blind eye and they did not respond in seeking God that's it. That's the next step in this progression of how this world got so messed up. I mean, if you really want to know God, you'll do it, right? You'll, you'll go after him. You'll push everything aside and, and really... I mean, we do that with things, don't we? I mean, when my car broke down, you know, rather than going straight to the repair shop and paying all this money, I thought, I'm going to look on YouTube. You can find everything on YouTube now. It's, it's so crazy. I remember in, before YouTube, you actually had the, what is that, the Clinton manuals, and I'm trying to look at how you fix your car, but now YouTube. Yeah? Oh, how, how, how do you, um, my, I remember my, I heard my daughter playing 
this piece, a classical piece on piano. And I, I walked in and go, hey, how, how'd you learn that? She goes, you too. <laughs> right? Oh, how do you cook this meal? Oh, you too. Yeah. I mean, on and on, right? We seek it out. We look on the internet. We have all that, you know, access to. And when we want to get something done, when we need something, oh, we, we take the time to do it. But the world, even though God is so evident, you know, they rejected all that. They refused the truth and rejected the evidence of the creator of God intentionally, intentionally. I don't know if you heard of Helen Keller. Uh, she's a famous blind and deaf author. Uh, she became blind and deaf when she was 19 months old as a baby. That didn't stop her. Uh, she was actually the first blind and deaf person to graduate college. But she said some, something interesting. She once said, to be blind is bad, but worse is to have eyes and not see. That's what's going on with the world here, you guys. God has made it easy to see himself. And so what's happening is they intentionally reject that. They are without excuse. Maybe we can be that way. God brings us to some truths in the world, and we intentionally, no, no. Like picking and choosing, like I was saying earlier. We get selective sometimes, too. We need to take the whole counsel here. We need to keep our eyes open to God and what he's sharing with us. All right, so how the world got so messed up, number one, they refused the truth. Number two, they rejected the evidence. And now we come to number three. They redefine right thinking. They redefine right thinking. Look at verse 21. Uh, we're going to cover 21, 22. It says here, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile and their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So Paul goes on in this progression now. First of all, he says, well, although they, they knew God, they knew about God, they knew God is out there, right? They refused the truth. They rejected that. Oh, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Uh, look at creation and see God in that. They, they, although they knew God, um, they decided to not honor him in those ways. So in their refusal, in their rejection, they chose to not honor God as God. That's basically what he's saying there. Basically, they didn't want to worship him. They didn't want to glorify him. I remember someone said uh, one of the saddest uh, verses in the Bible is when it says in John 1, 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And that's what the world has done, rejected their creator. And on top of that, Paul says that they also uh, didn't give thanks to him. They didn't thank the Lord. God created everything. He's the source of our life. He's the one who gives blessings they didn't acknowledge him at all they didn't say thank you god thank you for what you've done thank you for your grace thank you for your mercy they did not honor god and to add insult to injury basically they accepted those good things and didn't even thank him so what happened then well in verse 21 he goes on uh, but they became futile 
in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The word futile here means empty or worthless. In other words, their minds were devoid of any truth, any knowledge of God, so their minds became empty, worthless. Lack, there was no wisdom there. There was no truth in their minds because they pushed God away. So their minds, their thinking became emptied of God. They, get, they got rid of the Lord. Well, what was the result of that? Well, their, their hearts became full of foolishness. That's what he means here when he says, um, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So their hearts got spiritually dark also. Let me put it this way. In the vacuum of that empty mind, they started to fill their mind with things that are not of God. Things of the world, things of the wicked things, yeah? things of evil. And so their heart then became foolish in going after, following after what their mind was thinking after they pushed out the truth. So when they did not acknowledge God in life, they filled their mind and their heart with darkness and basically got confused in all of this. They got confused in what is true. So the result of this was they lost the capacity to see clearly. And if you don't want to see the truth, you lose that capacity to really see the truth. That's what Jesus meant when he made a comment in John eight forty five. He said, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. In other words, I'm telling you the truth, but it's not ringing with you. Why? Because you don't believe me. You don't have truth in you. It's just foolish talk to them. Jesus said in, in John three nineteen, people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's this world, you guys. They pushed out God, and so they filled their minds with the foolishness, and their hearts are more darkened now. So then in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So thinking that, oh, I got it together, Thinking that, oh, uh, uh, pridefully thinking, I have the truth. I know what life is about. I know what's wrong or right. They actually became the foolish ones in their illogical thinking because they pushed God out. What they thought was logical to them without God was really illogical, Paul is saying. And what, what they think is illogical, which is things about God, um, uh, is what is Logical. Hope that makes sense. So they're saying their foolish philosophies is wisdom, basically. And they call it the true wisdom of God, foolishness. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, this is the NLT, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. So does that make sense with what Paul says? I mean, they say, oh, it's, the world says, oh, Jesus and dying on the cross, oh, that, that's foolish talk. But now understand why. Because they pushed all this truth of God out and they filled their own minds with what they think is the truth. But it's not true. It's the opposite. It's foolishness. So how did the world get so messed up? Well, they continued to spiral down as they redefine 
right thinking. That's what happens, you guys. When you push the word of God out, right, of your mind and everything, then you're embracing what? The world's thinking, the world's philosophies. And you start embracing that, you start receiving that, and you start making this your own little thoughts of what truth, what's right, what's wrong, what's right thinking, what life is about, all that. You start putting all that together in your own mind. And a lot of times, most of the time, it's far away from the truth of the Word of God. You know, when, when you push God out, when you push the Word out, you can come up with a lot of crazy things, a lot of crazy thinking. I mean, I'm sure everyone would, would have an example of that. And maybe you, before Christ, you were into some of that. I was thinking about, you know, you know during the Super Bowl, there was a commercial, and it was for Scientology, one of the commercials. And, and I, it kind of shook my mind because later, I think it was one of the uh, most watched or ones that people like. I'm like, Why? I mean, it's so crazy. I mean, maybe it's because many actors, you know, are into Scientology or they have the money because it's a very costly uh, religion, you can say. Uh, If you know anything about Scientology, it was created by L. Ron Hubbard in the 1950s with this book called Dianetics. And um, that's like their Bible now, you guys. That's like their text. And uh, Hubbard has been quoted saying, I'd like to start a religion, so he wrote the book, and saying this, that's where the money is. Interesting, interesting. Now, what they believe is that human beings are actually alien entities trapped in a human body. I mean, that's the core of it. And that salvation really is this long process of being released from pain and suffering through talking through these very expensive sessions very expensive that's why a lot of the rich or actors can are into this and and salvation is when you can release all of that and 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 all that pain and suffering doesn't affect you anymore and also when reincarnation ends so that, i was thinking what it's like a piece here a piece there a piece here alien stuff here a piece here you put it all together right of course, they say, oh, we embrace all religions. Of course, oh, we believe in the God of the Bible, but he's only one of many other gods, they say. Oh, we believe in Jesus, but he's just a good teacher and not God the Son. They don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in hell. They hate the word sin and repentance. Oh, you can't use that word. Oh, no, no, no. They believe that everyone's good. So... I think all of that is like all this mishmash of stuff to me is like, oh my gosh. You see, when you push the word of God out, you can come up, you can put together anything you want and say that this is true. And eventually one day there's a very nice commercial on the, during the Super Bowl, you know, inviting people to come to their church. It's not a church. You know? It's really more like a cult. It, there's no truth in it at all. All And that's what happens. You start redefining what truth is. You redefine right thinking. You know, sometimes we do that, though. We, we can do that, you guys. Sometimes we, we bake our own cake. That's what I was thinking, right? We take a little bit of this, maybe of the Bible. We take a little bit of these traditions, maybe from our parents or family. And then we, we, we sprinkle in a health, healthy spoonful of superstitions. 
And then, oh, this is it. This is the wisdom I have. This is my philosophy. Uh, this is what life is about. This is, this is how to get by or get through. People do that. Even people who say they're Christians do that, you guys. But we can't push out the truth of the Word of God. We cannot. If we start pushing that out, then we're going down this path where we're beginning to redefine right thinking, redefine what, who God is and what the truth of God really is. So how the world got messed up? Well, they refused the truth and it cascaded into rejecting the evidence and then they re- redefined right thinking. And then number four, our last thing we see is they replace God with religion. So you can see how this all progresses now. So we come to verse 23, the last verse in our passage for this morning. It says, And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So here's this progression, right? They claim to be wise now. Oh, we got it together. We know what's truth. We know what's real. And they actually became fools. Well, in what way? Well, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. They traded who God is, God's glory. And and they traded him for who he is, for shameful things. They traded eternal things for earthly things. They traded incorruptible things for for corruptible things. They, and here's the worst part, they treated truth for lies. It, it's so wrong. Can you see what happens when you refuse the truth, when you reject, right? When you reject God in, in creation, we see when you redefine the truth and truth of God and you're left with that emptiness inside, remember that emptiness, that sense, you know what's going to happen? We got to fill it. The world has to fill it with something. And if you push God out, and God's the only one who can really fill that emptiness, what happens? Well, you, you try and fill it with something. In other words, you try and worship something. You try and find some sort of uh, 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 spiritual thing. Because you know it's something spiritual you need. But you already pushed God out. So what did they do? They traded God for these images, these idols, so to speak. And they resembled mortal man, the human being, birds, animals, and creeping things. So then idols are formed. Yeah. Uh, 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 first of all, mortal man, a human being, right? You start deifying a human being. Yeah. Heroes become gods. Yeah. The Greek gods, Caesars, declare themselves if as God, feeling like they're so powerful. Uh, uh, these guys with superpowers, yeah, I want to be like them, you know, Thor, no. But, uh, you know, we start lifting up a human being as a God. You know, that's Satan's strategy. Remember when he was tempting Eve in Genesis 3, 5, he said, you know what? You eat the fruit, you will be like God. You'll be like God. That, that's his ploy there. And then there's other things, right? Birds, animals, creeping things. Uh, 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 just things God, animals, beings that God created starts being lifted up 
idolized. Remember when, when Moses was on the mount for a long time on the journey of the wilderness? And uh, they're like, where's Moses? Oh, maybe he's gone. You know, then what did they do? Aaron, we want to make a golden calf. And Aaron's like, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And they made a golden calf. And, and they worshiped the golden calf saying, this is who delivered us from Egypt. Crazy, right? Well, that just shows you the void of, of like Moses. Oh, Moses isn't here. They had to worship something, right? So they still needed to fill that. And they went for this golden calf. The Hindu religion has 330 million animals that they worship. Cows are, are sacred. People could be starving, but they're not going to kill the cow for food because it's our God. They worship. Crazy. In Egypt, uh, ancient Egypt, they had the scarab beetle. They worshiped that. If you remember the old mummy movies and stuff, right? That's that little beetle they, they worship. You know what? That's another name for that beetle. Dung beetle. I'm like, what? Why do why you worship that thing, you know? Right? Why make an idol out of that? So the eternal God, the eternal Lord God is substituted for these earthly idols. And, and I think that's crazy. This is religion. This is religion. It's, religion is some sort of spiritual philosophy concocted really from the minds of, of, of people devoid, devoid of the truth. So it comes out crazy. It comes out foolish. I mean, on this side of the cross for us and for us who are believers, we look at it and go, oh, yeah, why, why is that? Or maybe you look at yourself. Oh, I used to do that. Oh, I was out of my mind. It is illogical. It is foolish. It is superstitious. And then think about it this way, too. Then the enemy of our soul, Satan, comes in, right? And, and he takes advantage. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.20 that, that people actually, when they sacrifice the idols, they're sacrificing to what? Demons. They're actually worshiping demons that are behind that. And behind all of this is the deception of Satan. Now you may ask, well, isn't Christianity... Uh, one of the world religions. And, and well, from the world's view, yeah. But I would say no. No. Because Christianity is about a relationship restored with God that God originally intended through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a religion. It's the truth. It, it's God, remember, reaching out to us. Religion is trying to reach to God or whatever entity or whatever level of ex existence. That's religion. And a lot of times it's steeped in ritual. But we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What God originally intended for us to have, what Adam and Eve had, we have now in Christ. So how did the world get so messed up? Well, that spiral down progression came to this. They replaced God with religion. They passed on having a real relationship with God through Christ. You know, in um, uh, Sri Lanka, there's this temple, and it's called the Temple of the Sacred Tooth. Why is the tooth so sacred? Why is it so holy? Well, 
the claim is to be an actual tooth that belonged to Buddha. Millions come. I know, it's kind of gross. (laughs) I don't know if they had toothbrush back then. But millions come to worship this tooth. Uh, Crazy. On Wednesday, the tooth is actually washed in some water. And it said afterwards that water, remaining water, has healing powers. A tooth, really? Now, we can laugh at that. We can go, that is so crazy. But sometimes we set up our idols, don't we? Just as foolish. Our modern society has given us a lot of technology and advantage in that. I mean, I was thinking, oh yeah, how much time do I spend on my phone? <laughs> right? You know, what, what is it that we kind of start to prop up in place of God? Spend more time in place of God. Uh, sometimes our hobbies take over us. Sometimes uh, we're doing our hobbies more than praying. Sometimes uh, we're into our work and making money, uh, rising up on the ladder, then doing that more than coming to church. Our idols are, today are like wealth, sex, health, maybe a relationship, our cars, our house, uh, maybe even our pets, it could be. I remember one person told me that my church, on Sundays I'm in my church, and that's the golf course. That's where they spent their most time worshiping. Where's your church? Who do you worship? Your church is here, yes. <laughs> well, we're going to stop here. I want you to see, though, how everything got so messed up. When God, when His truth basically was refused, rejected, redefined, and then replaced. And I hope that your eyes are open now of not just what's going on in this world. We're going to go on next week, but also maybe seeing maybe things in yourself that we have tendencies to do in this way. I hope your eyes been open to this truth to see how bad things really are. Uh, um, long ago, this older man and his wife pulled into a gas station, and while the tank was being filled, the attendant washed the windshield back then when they did full service, right? Uh, When he finished, the driver of the car said, the windshield is still dirty. Wash it again. Yes, sir, answered the attendant. So he scrubbed the windshield a second time. When he finished, the the older man in the car angrily said, it's still dirty. Do it again. For the third time, the attendant washed the windshield. He looked closely for anything he might have missed, tiny bugs, dirt, specks, or streaks. And then he finished. The older driver was Fuming, he screamed, you are the worst windshield washer I've ever seen. I'm going to talk to your boss and get you fired. Right then, when he was about to get out of the car, his wife reached over, removed his glasses. She carefully wiped them with a tissue, then put them back on his face. While the old guy slumped down in his seat as he realized the windshield was spotless. It was his own dirty glasses. That's it. How we see things, you guys. How we see things. Perhaps it's your eyes that are seeing things wrongly. But now you see. It's not God's fault. 
It's not he's holding back on you. No, not at all. But let me close with this last thing. There's hope, you guys. There's hope. Though God's judgment, it is looming and it's going to come. But right now, his grace and love is there through Jesus Christ. And even though this world and maybe you got yourself into some big mess, God is there to help. I'll close with this. It's not going to be on the screen but uh, with this quote, but just listen. Eugene Peterson said this. When we sin and mess up our lives, we find that God doesn't go off and leave us. He enters into our trouble and saves us. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Jesus can fix our messes. Well, this is it. This is how the world got so messed up. But Jesus can fix it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you once again for your word. And as we come to a close here, thank you for the hope we have in you. And though we may have messed up, Lord, and maybe some of us has, are in this progression, Jesus, you still want to save us. You still want to be there for us. And I pray for all of us now that we understand these things that perhaps we would know how to share your light, Jesus, to others, how to love them, how to continue to help them come to a place where they can see clearly your truth and what they have done in believing the lie and not the truth. So help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.